Imagine that you are on an elevator and somebody comes up to you. Well, they don't come up to you. They're, you know, in the elevator. They look at you and they say, hey, um, I noticed that you are wearing a Jesus t-shirt. Imagine you're wearing a Jesus t-shirt. And uh, I'm just curious, uh, what, what, is, what is Jesus's main message? Could you just give me, I, I'm getting off in two floors. I need 20 seconds for you to give me Jesus's main message. Go. What would your 20-second elevator speech about Jesus' main message be? If you could wrap up all of Jesus' teachings in 20 seconds or less, could you do it? And what would it be? I encourage you to just think about that a little bit. Go write it down. Go home and start, start writing it out, and you'll find yourself probably thinking of new things, and you, you might add a few things, but then you'll cut some things away and cut it down and, and maybe combine some things. But what is Jesus's message? What did, what did he really say? And I think that's obviously, like, it's always good to come back to that, to remember that, to even hone in our understanding of what that is. We have been traveling along in the Gospel of Matthew uh, for a little bit of a time, and we see in this gospel that Jesus is uh, baptized. He goes into the water and he comes out of the water. Uh, we see how Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, he begins his ministry. He calls Peter and Andrew and he calls James and John. He says, hey, you guys follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. He begins to cast out uh, demons and heal many people. Uh, he then goes up on a hill here in Matthew 5, which, which is where we're at today. He goes up on a hill or a mountain, and he calls his disciples to himself. And then it says that he opens his mouth and he begins to speak to them. What we have today in Matthew chapter 5 is really the, the first content of any sermon uh, within Matthew's gospel of anything that Jesus says. Uh, this is really the beginning of Jesus' sermon on the mount and the first content we have that comes out of his mouth. Now, Matthew has already shown us, or any good Jewish reader of, of his audience of the day, he has shown us several things. Uh, he has, first of all, shown that Jesus is following the pattern of Israel and following the pattern of Moses. Just as Israel was baptized in the Red Sea and then again in the Jordan River, Jesus himself is baptized in the Jordan River. Just as Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus himself intentionally goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And just as they come, uh, the people of God come into the new land, Jesus comes into the land and begins to give his uh, sermons. And this particular sermon is what the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Just as Moses went up on Mount Sinai, received the law of God, and came down to the mountain, Jesus goes up on the mountain and invites his disciples to come, and he gives them a new law. And so we see all these parallels that, for one, Matthew is painting this picture of Jesus that is parallel to Israel in the Old Testament and parallel to Moses in the Old Testament. He's the new Israel. He's the new Moses. That gives a lot of meaning to our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus was all about. And in the giving of the law and the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus kicks it off with these Beatitudes. Do you know how many times the word beatitude is in the Bible? I just said that question so I could take a drink. <clears throat> Zero. It's only in your heading. 
The word beatitude is actually not in the Bible at all. But the word beatitude means blessing. And in this particular list of beatitudes, Jesus gives nine blessings. Now, I don't know how you feel when you uh, heard Frank read the scripture this morning. But often when I hear these beatitudes, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. Am I, am I, do I mourn enough to be blessed? Am I righteous enough to be blessed? I, I don't always feel the warm fuzzies on these beatitudes. So I want us to break it down a little bit today and try to dig in. We're going to actually spend the whole month of February uh, looking at these beatitudes. And so I want to encourage you over the course of this month to open up your Bibles at home to Matthew chapter 5 and just read these. Read these every morning if you want. Read them at least a few times a week. Chew on them, meditate on them, memorize them. Uh, the more we open up the scriptures and, and keep, continue to read the same things, even if we don't really understand it at first, we're making room for God to speak to us. We're not simply reading for information. We're reading for transformation. We're reading for God to speak to us and to do something to us and to begin to do something in us. And as you and I continue to do that throughout the course of this month, we might find that we are more blessed than we ever realized that we were. So Jesus gives us these nine blessings. I want to refresh our mind real quick and read them one more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so that's a lot of blessing, right? There's a lot of blessings that Jesus is passing out. And I kind of want to just break these down and share a couple of my observations with you. First of all, this list of Beatitudes is not really a to-do list. Uh, if it is a to-do list, it's not only a to-do list. It's not just some ethical code whereby Jesus says, if you do these things, then you unlock all the magic secrets in order to receive blessings. Okay. Second of all, Jesus is talking about people who are already experiencing or doing these kinds of things. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. He's speaking to this group of people, some of whom are poor in spirit, some of whom are mourning, some of whom are peacemakers, some of whom are meek, etc., etc. So he's speaking to people, he's gathered them to himself, and he's already saying, hey, those who are this kind of person or doing these kinds of things or have had these kinds of things done to you, you're actually blessed. Next of all, if you look at the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the persecuted, you will see that these are a, a lot of people who are not really in positions of power in their society and in their culture and in their world. 
They're, they're really the people that are either ignored or they've just under the radar. Some of them have been intentionally pushed away or even mistreated. They're not at the top of the food chain. It's really a humble group of people who, for the most part, uh, go unnoticed. And the kinds of people he's describing are still seeking God's will. They're still seeking to do something for God. They're seeking out God's righteousness, that sort of thing. And finally, and I think this is really the most intriguing one, is that Jesus calls these followers of his blessed. He doesn't say it in the future tense. He doesn't say, well, someday you're going to be blessed. Life really stinks for you now, but one of these days you're going to be blessed. He doesn't say that. He says, blessed are you when these things happen to you. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. What a strange way to say this, that Jesus would say, you're blessed now, for doing these things or for being this way or for having this position, disposition of the heart. Now I want to put, call a time out real quick and, and ask you, what in your life would cause you to sit back and reflect and say, wait a minute, I am blessed. Have you done that lately? Have you just paused in the, in the midst of a busy life and said, boy, you know what? I'm a blessed person. What causes us to do that? Well, generally, if, if we think about our health and we think, well, I'm, I'm fairly healthy, we might think I'm blessed. Or if we can pay all our bills or we have plenty of income and we think, yeah, I can, I can provide for myself and even give a little extra, I, I'm blessed. Or maybe it's a family thing. Maybe when all our family gets together and, and we get along to a relative good degree, then we can say, I am blessed. These are all good signs of blessing in the world. But Jesus says, you are blessed to people who may not have any of those things. How do we make sense of this? How can these people be blessed now when they don't have any of those things now? We might say, well, someday you're going to be blessed when you get your reward in heaven, some other place, but not now. Here's what I think is going on. Here, here's how I make sense of this, and I think this is really a big part of the elevator speech. Are you ready? Jesus is describing a world, a reality, that coexists with the world that everyone around us and around them sees. This world is called the kingdom of heaven, also known as the kingdom of God. A way to accurately translate that might be the reign of God, the rule of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the reign of God. You're participating in God's reign. And that that reign is not merely a future reality. But there is a present reality right here and right now, says Jesus to his disciples, of God's reign, of God's rule. This reign is being announced by Jesus. 
And it's being put on display in his healing and his casting out of unclean spirits. All these are signs of God's true and real reign in a world that does not see or recognize that reign yet. Later on in this sermon, Jesus will pray things like, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea of God's kingdom, your reign come, your will be done. And he will also teach his disciples in this same sermon to seek first the reign of God and his righteousness, and then all these other worldly things will be added unto you. We look back and Jesus' announcement when he comes into his ministry is repent and believe for the reign of God is near. That's the first line out of his mouth in Matthew chapter 4. That is his number one sermon. The reign of God is near. Repent and believe. And so as Jesus is going around, he is embodying, he's living out, he's speaking and teaching about this new order of things. An order where God's reign, where God's will is already beginning to happen. Now, if we're going to buy into that, we must have, first of all, a little bit of faith, don't we? What else do we need to buy into that? This world of God's reign is not for Jesus merely a future reality, even though it does have a future promise to it. When people are poor in spirit, when people are humble, when they're meek, when they're peacemakers, when they're hungering for God's righteousness and justice, then they are participating in that reign of God here and now. They are blessed here and now only because that reign already exists in the here and now. And these actions of these people, of these followers of Christ, their dispositions of their heart, and even their response to the negative experiences that they have because they're followers of Christ, these will not go unnoticed. They may go unnoticed now. They may go unnoticed by the world. But they don't go unnoticed by God. God is using these things to build up His kingdom. Someday the reign of God will arrive in full. These actions and these dispositions and experiences of people, they will bear the full weight of their fruit. These things are not happening in vain, says Jesus. The world of God's reign, existing at the exact same time as our world, Right here and right now. We even say it in the Apostles' Creed that he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Right now, Jesus is reigning. God through Christ is reigning. 
So what does it look like for you and I to live in that world? Well, first of all, I think it means that we must pay attention because there's so many other options out there for us to pay attention to, and we only have so many hours in the day to give our attention. Whether it's the Super Bowl or the impeachment trial or our own to-do list or any form of busyness, we have a lot of different options that could fill up the hard drive and the RAM of our brains. The things of this world can consume our imagination and the amount of mental processing and storage that we have in our heads. But imagine the reign in the kingdom of God right now in your life. Hidden from the world. Pay attention. Maybe the reign of God is happening in the places in your life where you don't expect it. I mean, really, look at that list. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. We don't look around and see meekness and say, there's the reign of God. See that meekness over there? Jesus is seeing a world that we don't naturally see. And we haven't been trained to see it. And in order for us to actually keep our eyes on it, we have to remind ourselves and one another that it's real and that it exists. Pay attention to this kingdom. Second of all, it means that we reinterpret our own experiences. We reinterpret what happens to us. Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted on account of me. Well, that doesn't feel like a blessing, does it? But if God is building his reign through these experiences, then they are not in vain, but they're the building blocks of something to be revealed someday. And if you look throughout history, God often does his greatest work when his people get the short end of the stick. God does his greatest work, for example, through the cross. When his own son gave his life, that that really kind of sums up the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Poor in spirit, meek, humble, peacemaker. God has done His greatest work through the cross of His Son. And He is probably working in ways that you and I don't see, even when we get the short end of the stick. We see this in the book of Acts when the disciples are rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Now, either those guys were nuts or they saw and believed in the kingdom of God in a way that the world just doesn't get. They knew that God would use their suffering to continue to build his kingdom, and they considered that kingdom to be worthy of their very lives, worthy of their comforts, worthy of their pleasures, worthy of their reputation even. They were willing to give all of that in exchange for this greater kingdom. Third, living in God's kingdom means that we are proactive in our lives. It means that we intentionally are called by God in whatever way he leads us in the very world that you currently live in to be peacemakers, to find those opportunities to be proactive for God's righteousness and justice in the world, to be proactive in showing mercy, to be proactive in getting in touch with our own poverty of spirit, and our own need for God's grace. 
We can do so because our Father sees us. He watches over us. And He is using that in ways that He wants to. Fourth, living in God's kingdom means that we don't have to put all of our eggs in the baskets of the kingdoms of this world. There are a lot of options out there, the kingdoms of this world. They're all beckoning us to put our eggs in their basket. The United Methodist Church is not an institution that is guaranteed to last. I don't know if you've been reading the news lately, but it's not guaranteed to last. But the United Methodist Church is not equivalent to the kingdom of God, which is guaranteed to last. Your political party is not guaranteed to last. Your sports team is not guaranteed success, and it's not guaranteed to last. Your business or your career or your life's work is not guaranteed to last. And if we don't have a sense of God's kingdom and the reign of Christ over that kingdom, then we will live anxious lives because our lives will be built on the things of this world. So my challenge for you today, brothers and sisters, is to look for the kingdom of God in your own life. It's probably not off in some far off place. You'll probably see it before you get home if you have the eyes to see. You'll probably see it this afternoon or tomorrow or next Thursday. The kingdom of God is among us. Christ is on his throne wherever you go. And even though there's a lot of evidence to the contrary out there, even though there's a lot of mourning and meekness and need for peace to be made, God's kingdom is coming and His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a given. The question for us is, are we going to be a partaker and a participant of that kingdom or are we not? The choice is ours. Let us pray. Lord, we just ask that you open our eyes today to see the things that are real and true and eternal, the things that we confess we forget about. Lord, we confess that we get consumed by so many allegiances in this world. We give our money and our time and our energy and our thinking to so many things that are not going to last. Would you teach us the difference between those things and the things that are eternal? The things of your kingdom. Lord, would you show us how what seems to be even these small things, meekness, peacemaking, even persecution. Would you show us, O Lord, how that in our life can be a part of something greater and bigger that you see all things and that you're taking things into account and that things are not necessarily lost. Help us to make sense of our lives in light of your rule and your reign. Let us be those 
30-second elevator speech people who can say that the message of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is here and that Jesus is the Lord over all and that we are invited to come and to learn and to be a part of his rule and his reign not only in this world but with a promise for the next world. We love you, Lord. We worship you today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.